0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Good morning, it is Thursday, April 16th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Trey Scott. In just a minute, we're going to get to a conversation I had with 24 seven sports national analyst, Bud Elliott yesterday about the NFL draft and the, the draft trends, how the recruiting industry is going to fare in this draft, which offensive linemen are going to go early, which receivers are going to go early. Why Clyde Edwards helaire isn't getting enough love. I'm excited to share that conversation with you guys. But first we had some quick news pop up and that's that conference commissioners told Vice President Mike Pence that college sports simply will not return until college students return to campus. That news comes Wednesday as Pence staged a conference call with the College Football Playoff Management Committee which is commissioners from the Power Five conferences, commissioners from the Group of Five conferences, and then the Notre Dame commissioner, Zach Orbrick, to discuss the impact of the coronavirus pandemic and to see how things could get back on track. And The the long story short of it is that nothing's going to get back on track in the college sports world until college life gets back on track. Big 12 commissioner Bob Bowlesby told, told CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd that the overarching message from the call was, quote, our players are students. If we're not in college, we're not having contests. The message was: We need to get universities and colleges back open. That we are education-based programs, and we weren't going to have sports until we had something closer to normal college going on. Unquote. Of course, this call takes place amidst a week in which President Donald Trump is seeking calls with the leaders of major college, or sorry, major professional sports commissioners: MLB, NFL, NBA all of them to try to emphasize the importance of starting sports sooner rather than later. It's been 34 days now since the NCAA tournament has been canceled and we still have not seen the light at the end of the tunnel as far as returning the country or the world to normalcy. And there had been, you know, some thought that Mike Gundy pitched this. It was not a good idea that you could bring college students to campus. And, you know, tell their other, or sorry, bring college athletes to campus and have them self-quarantined in the athletic facilities, in the dormitories, and then have the college students just stay at home. You know, that, and that's something that might work in the pros if you feel you know ethically okay about that. But, it, it, you know, you could have the NFL players you know, stay in a hotel or an M- NBA players all stay in a hotel, te- get tested there, and then compete and train together on a, you know, a centralized location or a a quarantine location. And that's something Dr. Anthony Fauci said Wednesday, as far as the path forward for sports this summer without fans. Sports seasons are in jeopardy. Are we going to have college football this fall?
0: There's a way of doing that. Nobody comes to the stadium. Put them in big hotels, you know, wherever you want to play. Keep them very well surveilled, and namely a, a surveillance, but have them tested like every week and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family and just let them play the season out.
1: I mean, but people say, well, you know, you- it's very clear at this point now that college life has to return for college sports to return. Overall, though, despite the fact that this loophole, you know, water was poured on it. Cold water was poured on it. The commissioners are reporting back that the tone was positive. Uh, Bolsby said he thinks that Pence appreciated hearing his thoughts or their thoughts. He, He said that Pence asked the commissioners what it would take to get back to normal, to get things back to normal. And MAC Commissioner John Steinbrecher said he felt positive about the call. Uh, to him, it was a recognition, quote, of the role of higher education and the role of intercollegiate athletics in the fabric of our society, unquote. You know, that leads you to believe that just as Trump is pushing the professional sports leagues to return, his administration, Mike Pence, are trying to figure out a way to get college sports to return. And the answer on Wednesday was, hey, we can't do anything until the university presidents open up campus. So we will see, but it's you know, pretty sizable piece of news anytime you have the vice president of the United States on a conference call with collegiate commissioners about the soon fate of the college football season. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I will bring in Bud Elliott. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? All right,
0: we're back. Bud, how's it going? Trey, I'm doing well. Uh, we had rankings come out yesterday, and of course, uh, everybody on the internet agreed with, with what we decided uh, to, to rank these, these recruits, and that went well, but I was you know, pretty proud of all the content we put out as a network, and, and I think a lot of work uh, has gone into these rankings, so I'm excited to
1: discuss them. Yeah, check out the uh, the top 247 rankings on 24 seven sports, but you've been with us now for a few months, your national recruiting analyst origination. You kind of have a hand in everything and you've got this new podcast, Bud and Barton w- with y- yourself and Barton Simmons. And it's, it's doing awesome numbers, massive numbers. And like, I kind of seen some scuttlebutt that it might be the best new college football podcast in a while. I love it. Um, and so I kind of wanted to have you on today to plug that. And to introduce you to our audience, I'm sure they already know you, and just to kind of you know take a lay of the land of college football, NFL draft, and, and, and your podcast. So you know, I hope you're not too podcasted out right now. I know you and Barton just did a long one about the NFL draft, and I, I spent the morning listening to it. Uh, and this podcast, I, everyone should go listen to it. It's titled Value Picks in the NFL Draft. I thought it was a really interesting discussion by you guys related to the NFL Draft and, and the path of many of these players that they've taken from high school to college and, and the draft, and you, you, know, you were lucky enough to see so many of those guys. And when you kind of reflect on the draft and you're in Barton's discussion, doesn't it look like it's going to be a really good draft for the recruiting industry? Like there's very few out of nowhere guys who are going to slap us in the face in round one.
0: Yeah, Trey, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I Something I've been doing for, for a long time and, and will continue doing it at 24-7 Sports uh, is, is taking a look and trying to figure out, okay, why did did the recruiting industry miss on this player? And generally what I'm looking at here for the first round is guys who were either unrated or, or rated as, as two-star recruits, right? And, and those are, are generally not your premier players. If If you get at least a three-star on a kid, um, that That's the expectation he's going to be a starter at a power five school, right? It's not that big of a leap to believe a player like that will become a first rounder. Now, it's not incredibly likely, but your two stars and your unrated kids are are very unlikely uh, to become first rounders. And yet it often still does happen just because there are so many two stars and, and unrated players out there in the country every year. But this year uh we're not even guaranteed to have a single two-star or unrated player go in the first round and that that's the uh i I can't remember a year in which that happened so that's that's pretty neat and and that does to me show that that maybe the recruiting industry is becoming a little bit more comprehensive although i don't know if you want to draw those conclusions based on, on just a one
1: draft sample no, I mean, like, I hate it when you've got a two-star kid that goes in the first round or even worse, someone is like, hey, look at all the, the starters in the Super Bowl. Check out how many of these guys were two stars. And then people use that as ammo as to why recruiting rankings are a bunk or why they don't matter. You know, Carson Wentz, like who? Like, bud, who saw Carson Wentz coming a few years ago? He goes to North Dakota State. Like, was he supposed to be on... Like, is it, you know, like whose radar was he off of? Like, he was,
0: I want to find what card game all these people who make these arguments are playing it. Because like that would be tremendous because it shows to me they don't necessarily understand, you know, how, how large numbers and percentages work. Right. And that's right. You know, I'd like to take some of their money, maybe play a little poker or something. Um, how many how many people who work, you know, work construction or, or, or work just a, some random office job? were two stars or unrated players in high school. If they played high school football, almost all of them, right? The, the percentage of high school football football players out there, or even the, the, the proportion of um, players who go on to play at the college level who are three stars or above, is really small. It's not like half the country is three stars and, and above. I mean, it, it's, it's a really, really small sampling of all of the players out there. Uh, so it does say something to me that that we probably won't have any zero or two star recruits go in the first round this year.
1: Yeah, I mean even even when you, a year in which a Utah State player, a court, Utah State quarterback Jordan Love, is going in the first round, like even in a year in which he was a low three star, that tells you like something's working. Um, I was listening to you and you and Barton talk about. You, you mentioned Zach Bond as the Wisconsin linebacker. He might go in the first round. Saw so he had some. Like, uh, Blood work or urine issue Or something like that he might have you know taken something He wasn't supposed to so maybe he he drops and you Mentioned him as an out of nowhere guy But but he played quarterback In high school like you reference that as Well here's why you know he kind of Snuck up on people but he was a three star Uh, You got offensive tackle Joshua Jones from Houston Ezra Cleveland At Boise State those are really Like the, the the outliers here Otherwise it's it's it looks Pretty similar to the recruiting rankings for the Class of 2017 which is really impressive.
0: And, you know, we mentioned bond every year when I take and I do that analysis. I I usually have about five buckets that you can put, put kids in. And some kids fit in, in multiple categories as far as your, your, you know, your unrated kids or two stars who end up making the NFL draft. So you have kids who gained like at least 15 percent of their body weight after signing. So basically going from, you know, 200 to 230, but keeping that same speed, if, if you're able to do that. That, that's a different human, right? Like If you go 200, like 200 even to 230, and you're still like that 200 athletic, you're going to be a pretty special player. But as a rankings industry, we cannot routinely project linebackers to put on 30 pounds of muscle. We would be out of a job because the vast majority of them will not do so. Uh, position switches, like you mentioned with, with, with Zach Vaughn, he was a quarterback in high school. He ends up playing linebacker. At Wisconsin, that's another bucket right there. Uh, player was from a different country. That's another one. It's, sometimes it's hard for us to scout players in different countries because of the competition level and exposure issues. Uh, player with serious injury history in high school who didn't have available film or just not much of it in order for us to evaluate. There's there's a lot of examples out there of guys who just never stayed healthy in high school. Maybe they only played six or seven high school games. You know, they sign with like a. You know, kind of a lower level FBS, maybe a Georgia State, and then all of a sudden, you know, they they blow up. Uh, there's a lot of examples like that, and and for the most part, they fit in so, in some of those buckets. Uh, or occasionally, you'll see a kid from a very very small high school, particularly if he plays like eight man football. You know, like like Leighton Vanderesh did, the Boise State linebacker who who played. I think he was from, you know, somewhere in, in the Midwest where he wasn't even playing eleven on eleven football. Uh, and those are generally the categories. Uh, if, if the kid doesn't fit in one of those categories, I really like digging in on it and, and figuring out why we missed as an industry. And sometimes you just flat out miss, right? You just underestimate a kid. But it seems like that did not
1: happen uh, in this year's first round. Yeah, it's really impressive to kind of circle back. Josh Jones, the Houston lineman, he's actually a three star um, so he's not even in the, in the two bucket. So not, not only are we not having to kind of say, hey, here's why we missed on this two-star, here's why we missed on that two-star, but you've also got, as I mentioned earlier, it looks like the recruiting rankings. You've got a ton of former five-stars of both the 24-7 sports composite and the top 24-7 variety looking to be first-rounders. The record is 10. Uh, in 2017, 10 former five-stars were drafted in the first round. Last year saw eight. Who knows with mocks? Like, you, you have no idea, but I've counted seven, uh, 24-7 sports composite, five stars conservatively in most of the mock drafts. And, I mean, like, you never know, like, seven. could could be eight or nine. could be six or five. But it, if you were paying close attention to the class of 2017 recruiting rankings, as you were, you, you're looking at the NFL draft on April 23rd, and you're going, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy.
0: Absolutely. It, especially... With, with two
1: positions, offensive
0: line and receiver, which are positions that are not always easy to project, but it looks like the industry overall did an extremely good job in projecting those two positions in, in the years, which are now converting into the NFL draft. I, I'd be interested too, Trey, and I think maybe we can dig this up for a story next week. What's the record for combined four and five stars in a draft? Cause it seems to me like it would kind of follow if you have no two stars or zero stars in the first round, you might have an overabundance of three stars, but I'm going to, I'm going to guess here that, that the, the record for four and five stars combined, your, your blue chip players in a first round could be in
1: jeopardy. Ooh. Yeah. Kind of gets shattered this, this year. I think last year might've been close. I don't have that number, but now I want to dig it up, bud. But like, like, last year was just an awesome draft, not, not only for fives, but also for fours. Um, so you might be right, because there's like some four stars this year who were right on the cusp of composite five-star range. Jedrick Wills, first round lock. Andrew Thomas, first round lock. Caleb von chase on first round. Like he might be a first round. Like the, all of those guys don't get lumped into the 24-7 sports composite five-star status. Guy like Henry Ruggs. Was not a composite five star, but was a five star in twenty four seven Sports' ranking. So, you're right. This is a very blue chip draft. When you when you look back on some of these guys, you live in Florida. I don't know if it's the strongest year for Florida, but you've got like a Jerry Judy out there. You know, any sort of indelible recollections from a few of the first rounders who we're going to see go off the board? Maybe Judy, a guy who dominated at the opening finals and all the way back now in the summer of twenty sixteen. You know, Tua was his quarterback in seven on seven. Anything that kind of you you remember? Yeah. So with with Judy, um, he, he just really didn't have any weaknesses, right? The, the
0: only parts about his game that you thought like they weren't pluses maybe, but they also weren't weren't negatives. Like in high school, uh, I I didn't think of him as one of the necessarily the fastest receivers in the country, but he had plenty of speed. He wasn't the biggest receiver in the country, but but he had enough size. He he, he wasn't. He wasn't tiny by any stretch. He wasn't in that category where you'd think, okay, he has to play slot receiver. I I just thought of him as such a a balanced player, just so well-rounded. And he was a pretty advanced route runner in high school as well. There's film of him in 7-on-7, embarrassing guys. There's film of him at Florida's camp uh, putting some guys on on their butts. And and I know he did that against South Carolina as well, where he just makes the guy absolutely fall down uh, when he was at – at Alabama, uh, the the one thing that, that I and I was working on this project uh, a while back about sort of hidden athletic traits or, or athletic traits that we don't talk about a lot. And I was talking to a, a scientist out in California and she was telling me, you know, she was one thing I, I wonder why analysts don't talk about more is is deceleration. So stopping ability. And, and she was showing me some data and James Harden in the NBA. She's like, look, none of his other stuff here is that impressive athletically compared to other NBA players. I mean, certainly compared to you or I, he's, he's a pretty you know pretty freakish <laughs> guy. But the one thing he does, especially relative to his size, way better than anybody else, is stopping. The The quickness with which James Harden can stop for his size is much, big, much, much faster than almost anybody else guarding him of similar size. I think that's the same case with Judy. Look at how many comeback routes... And easy throws Jerry Judy sets up for his quarterbacks just by by being able to stop on a dime seemingly from, from a dead sprint. And most guys have to break down a little bit more than that. And it gives the DB a little bit more time to recover and break on those routes. And with Judy, he just doesn't have to. He just throws on the brakes. It's, it's like Tom Cruise in Top Gun, right? Throw on the brakes, they fly right by. I mean, this is that's the, that's the part of his game that I really like the, the most. He just... He creates separation underneath, and because of that, I think those DBs have to stick with him so close. He can actually get over top of them uh, easier than than he could if he wasn't able to decel that well.
1: That's super interesting. I've never thought about deceleration as like a skill or a strength, but you you brought up Harden, I started thinking about that, and then I started flashing through like the Jerry Judy college highlight reel in my head. I remember when he was coming out of high school, he was getting a lot of the Calvin Ridley comps, and it almost but it almost kind of was. I mean, it was obviously a positive Calvin Ridley was a great college player, you know, NFL receiver, but it it was sort of this, like, he's a route runner type. Did, did Jerry Judy surprise you at all in college about like, was he maybe a little bit better than you expected or was he pretty, pretty par?
0: No, he he was better than I expected in high school. Uh, I think Alabama did a great job of unlocking, you know, more athletic ability in him. Like it, I didn't necessarily believe that Judy was going to make so many big plays and long touchdowns. and, And he did. I was very, uh, I was very impressed with with that. He was even. I thought he would be really good in college, obviously, because he dominated very good competition in South Florida. But he
1: was even better than I thought. I, I like I would have been wrong on, on projecting just how good he would have been. Yeah, I kind of think I'm on the same page there. All right, speaking of college guys, I w- want to tee you up. You got a few names, some college guys who you really like. Spend the last few years watching or you know kind of studying. You wish you were getting more draft they were getting more draft buzz and draft buzz. It's relative. There are seven round mocks out there. There are, it's hard to know, you know, one day Deandre Swift's the only running back taken in the first round. The next day there's three. So who knows, but rattle off some names for us and and some whys is, you know, some college guys who, who you love, who you wish were getting a little bit more headlines.
0: Sure. So it it does seem like basically the, I don't want to say flavor of the month, but um, there's a bit of recency bias here and grant Delpit was not as good in 2019 as he was in 2018 and and he wasn't even the best db on his team for for the lsu tigers in 2019 that would be derek stingley who we had as the number two overall player in the country in in the 2019 recruiting class but delpit was so good in in 2018 and i understand why but it is still hard for me to wrap my brain around a little bit the idea that that Delpit's not going to go in the first round or or probably won't go in the first round um Sticking with LSU, I I don't think he should go in the first round, but has there ever been a better time for Clyde Edwards-Alaire to come into the NFL than right now? Every single year, the league passes more than it did in the previous year. And I, name me a running back whose college team split him out wide more than LSU did with Edwards-Alaire and actually had him run real routes. He wasn't just you know, splitting out and then just you know turning and facing the quarterback and, and, and basically just getting the pitch out there. He was he would run real routes. They they would they would get him soloed on on, on backers and on safeties and, and he would beat them. And that's what we see more and more of now in the NFL. So I I don't think I'd spend a first rounder on him, but like he, he's such a seemingly like such a good fit. I could totally see the Patriots getting him and him being. Remember Kevin Falk.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Like I mean, just, they've oh, got like 10 of another, those guys.
0: Another pass caught by Kevin Falk for a first down, you know, in third and six. Like, just, he seems to really fit where, where the NFL is
1: going, even if he's not uh, crazy, freaky athletically. At least he's plenty athletic. I like what you and Barton were saying, that if Joe Brady doesn't come along and revamp LSU's passing game, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a six-round pick, seven-round pick, maybe undrafted guy who goes practice squad, and then blows up sticks on a team and, and you're like how did we who who, who saw this guy coming because that's like totally true he's got all those pro all the profile of a uh, uh, you know a player who no one even knew about who just blows up because he's got everything and do you think that like he's got a, a profile like, like would he be your number two running back right now if you had to have a, a running back big board bud behind deandre swift
0: i think i would still take jonathan taylor just because taylor is I don't say he's the first Wisconsin running back, but but he's one of the few in in the long history of the Wisconsin running backs who have that true breakaway speed, too. Taylor has legitimate top-end speed as well, which I, I think is is pretty special. So I, I would probably have Edwards-Alaire throw. Yeah,
1: I, I hope someone takes Dobbins earlier than, than, than later. I, I'm a big fan of J.K. Dobbins, so he kind of has like a Doug Martin hamster style to his name and he's just he's just like an awesome kid awesome guy where's he being projected have you looked um, like I'm seeing like second round third round but you never know if there's a run on running like if DeAndre Swift is the first running back taken and that doesn't happen until 32 for the Chiefs and obviously you're seeing some really talented guys go in the third round but if someone surprises us and takes DeAndre Swift in the top 20 then I think you see a run kind of similar to to how the receiver position is going to shake out for instance, like for the receivers for the longest time on all the mocks, I had seen no receivers until the Raiders at, I believe 11 with, I think CD lamb. And now I'm seeing Mel Kiper's got the Jags in the top 10, taking Judy. And you just, you never know when the run's going to come kind of at quarterback too. If the Patriots take Jordan love, you know, does Jacob Easton come off the board in the first shot. Now I'm getting kind of excited. Just, just talking about the NFL draft, which I love, you yeah. know,
0: uh, I'm expecting a run of offensive tackles early in the draft. I, I've been I've been monitoring this and kind of just checking every day at some of these websites, which we won't name because obviously we, we have a relationship with uh, with a certain casino. But it, uh, some of these places have odds on uh, what what pick certain players will go at, and all of the track. Uh, excuse me, all of, all of the tackles seem to be trending. More towards the start of the first round, for instance, Andrew Thomas, where would he be drafted? The Georgia tackle? His over under was the 13th and a half pick like three days ago. Now his over under is the 11th and a half pick. Becton's moving up. Tristan Wurst is moving up. Jedrick Wills is moving up. This is kind of interesting.
1: Well, I saw someone on Wednesday said that Andrew Thomas—they're they're seeing some buzz or hearing buzz from NFL scouts that the Georgia guy, could, the Georgia tackle, could now be the first tackle taken, which is flies in the face of everything that we've been reading or projecting about the offensive tackle order since you know draft season began, where it's gone, you know maybe back then, maybe maybe where if now probably wills. So you're right. Like you could, you could see four tackles going to the top twelve.
0: His uh, actually uh, speaking of which, the first offensive lineman drafted, uh, Andrew Thomas was eleven to one. Now he's down to six and a half to one. So there's, really, there's been some action there. On, on uh, it's not just Twitter talk. Apparently, some, some folks are throwing some money around
1: uh, at some of these spots. It's gonna be exciting to see. Uh, but you got anyone else? You mentioned Delpit. You mentioned Clyde edwards alaire And and real quick before you go into that. Delpit, are you not concerned about the tackling? Was that a, you know, a mirage, or does that get fixed at the next level? It's definitely a concern because he's he's
0: a safety, and, and you have you really have to tackle it if if you're a safety with corner. I I think sometimes teams will overlook it, you know, somewhat uh, if you're just a, a super elite cover guy, especially with, you know, with how much passing the NFL does now. But it's it's a concern. I mean, I, I understand why he's not getting that at first round buzz but but he was really good in 2018 so um to me he's, he's flashed that top tier ability I, I don't know if he can you know sustain it on a year in year out basis that i mean who knows that might be the best year he ever ends up having um trying to think other guys who i i think will have really like Derek Brown's getting way too way too much hype for for me to use him there, right? That's that's not really. Oh yeah, fair. he's a top ten guy. Yeah.
1: Okay, I have one, and <laughs> we'll we'll send you out with like some receiver talk. I like receiver talk. You and Barton were talking about Lavisca Chenault, T. Higgins. I'm seeing now some mocks with T. Higgins in round one, so I'll I'll skip I'll skip him if we want to. Colorado's Lavisca Chenault. Maybe teams aren't going to know what to do with him because he's so big and you know physical and all that stuff, but. He's the epitome of a college superstar, household name, you know, one of the best players in college football. Who might drop a little bit just because there's some scheme or some, you know, some fit question marks.
0: So with with Chennault, he also was hurt a good bit uh, in this most recent year. But athletically, he's pretty freaky. And is he the best route runner out there? Is he going to get himself open that much? I I don't know, but. Colorado at times with, with Darren Chivarini and some of their other, other offensive coaches found a pretty good way to get the ball in his hands a lot creatively. And I have to think that like a team like the Chiefs or a team that's modeling itself after the Chiefs, since the NFL is a copycat league and they, they just won the Super Bowl, like I have to think that some team is going to figure out a way to, uh, to, to try to use him effectively, even if it's not in the super you know,
1: traditional receiver role. Yeah. I I can't wait to see what happens. Speaking of receivers, I saw Mel Kuyper was saying Devin DuVernay from Texas is flying up draft boards. DuVernay's track star speed and only had five drops his collegiate career. So who knows? Like he he was saying he could be one of the first five receivers taken. And if that happens and you know, what happened, what's happening to Brandon Ayuk or Denzel Mims or Jalen Rago or Levisco Chanel or T Higgins. So I can't wait to see what happens, bud. And I, where it's good to have you on and uh you know, do you think you and barton will have you know a few like what can we expect from you guys in the next week or so with you know more nfl draft type coverage because i can't get enough of it
0: so we'll, we'll probably talk a little more about the nfl draft on, on our next episode uh, we typically re- record on tuesday afternoon so it's a, it's out either tuesday evening uh, or, or wednesday morning that, that'll be interesting how, how we pack that all that chat in there we might do uh, who knows? We might do two kind of shorter episodes next week. Maybe a, a little a quicker preview that comes out on Tuesday since the draft obviously starts on what? Wednesday? Thursday. Uh, oh, oh, it, if it starts. Oh, my bad. OK, so the draft starts Thursday. Never mind. Uh, we'll, we'll probably talk a little more NFL draft stuff, maybe talk some recent trends. Uh, in the most recent show, we didn't actually discuss like this player going to this team really at all. It was I wanted it to be more of an evergreen show, more player focused so that. Fans of NFL teams could listen to it and hear two guys who have seen these dudes since high school, you know, talk about them as players. And And I think it I think the show is going to hold up pretty well, regardless of where these guys go, because there is a lot of talk about these players games in the next week's episode. We'll probably talk a little bit more about how because I think there'll be a little more certainty at that point about how this guy might fit into this situation or, or that situation um, like like Okuda with the Lions or um, You know burrow and the Bengals. I think that'll
1: be kind of neat. And then probably some lessons we can learn uh, From the draft All right, well, that's gonna do it but uh, wrap up some NFL talk and we did not even talk quarterbacks or or two Which you know, maybe is a dereliction of duty But I think it's a breath of fresh air at this point given I can't turn on ESPN right now and and not see a two-o Or Justin Herbert debate. So I'm glad I'm glad we stayed on receiver and offensive tackle um That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily, everybody. If you appreciate what we're doing, go leave us a five-star rating. But also, if you liked this episode and you want more, please go check out Barton and Bud, the 24-7 Sports Podcast on on the Apple Podcast. Leave them a five-star rating. Drop them a review and say hi. Tell Bud that you heard him on the College Football Daily. For Bud, for our producer, Tony Levin, and Connor Tapp, I'm Trey Scott. And we will see you on Friday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.